The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. not be the last, but I, I asked her to sing that song because it goes with my sermon today. Brother Hugh, I, I, in 1979 in May, sorry about that, uh, I came to Pelham in May 1979. Charles Stroud was pastor at First Baptist Columbiana. I came to Pelham in May. He left Columbiana in June, went to Ridgecrest in Montgomery. And for many years, I kidded Brother Charles, I ran him off. That I, I came to Pelham, he couldn't stand the heat in Pelham and Columbiana, and he got out of Dodge. And we laughed about that, but then 10 years later, I was on the search committee for the association that uh, presented Charles to the association to be our director of missions. So uh, I appreciated uh, the fellowship we've had with all. John Duncan did a great job. I did not know the first one that you mentioned this morning. There have been four, you're the the fourth, and I did not know the first one. He was before my time, but I had the joy of, of serving with three of the four directors of mission in Shelby County, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to serve. I told Brother Hugh, when I came here in 1979, they gave me a job in the association. I was the chairman of the youth committee, and uh, I, looking back on that, I don't know how in the world I ever made it through that, but then I remembered I was only 31 years old then, so that wasn't too bad, but it's been a joy and I want to say this, uh, some people think if you call to the ministry uh, that that's a letdown. And some of you know I was planning to be a lawyer. But uh, there's a call to the ministry. And I believe my wife was called to be a pastor's wife. And I thank God for giving me a partner like Mary. Uh, we have had a wonderful life together. We're looking forward to spending more time together now. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing more of our family uh, because of retirement. But I want to say this, any of you young people that God calls to the ministry, hear me say this, after 43 years as a pastor, 48 years in the ministry, if I had a thousand lives and God saw fit to call me to be a minister of the gospel a thousand times, I would want to do that. And I want to say this to Mary, and I wouldn't want to do it without you. You have been a wonderful first lady for every church we've ever had. And it's been a joy to serve with you as my ministry partner. Well, before I lose it, take your Bible <laughs> and turn to the book of Isaiah. Uh, this sermon is the sermon I sent to the pulpit committee at Pelham when they called me and said, we want a cassette tape of one of your sermons. And I had just preached a sermon the Sunday before called Roses Will Bloom in the Desert. And I thought, well, I could dig one out that's probably better than that, but that's a recent sermon. So I just said, I'll send you the one that I, I preached last Sunday. And I didn't know if I'd ever hear from them again or not. And they called me back about two weeks later and said, we're going to come down and hear you. And some of you have heard me tell this before. Uh, they went on Sunday morning to a big church in Mobile and heard a guy down there. And on the way back from Mobile Sunday night, they stopped at Millery and heard me. And uh, I didn't know if I'd ever hear from them again or not because 
Uh, we talked a few minutes after the service, and we didn't make any promises either way. And on Friday night of that week, they called me and said, we want you to come to Pelham and meet with the deacons and meet with the entire pulpit committee, and we want to talk to you about becoming our pastor. So by April 1st, I preached a trial sermon, and the church voted to call me, and we came on the 15th of May and began our ministry then. And uh, I wanted to stay at least five years. I'd stayed three years everywhere else. And I said, God, just let me stay five years at Pelham. And like God always does, he overdid it. And I've been able to stay here 35 years. I had I, wanted to stay 40, I thought, but that wasn't God's will. Uh, but one thing I'm grateful for, this church is uh, 105 years old. And I think I did my math right. I've been here 35 years. So I've been here one-third of the time that this church has existed. And when you think that the church is over 100 years old, I'm very grateful for that. And, and I say this, it's more a tribute to you as church members than it is to me as a pastor because you have followed where I have led, and I thank God for that. Well, if you have your Bibles open to Isaiah 35, let's stand together as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. This is the Word of the living God. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God, vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming, he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool of water in the thirsty land, springs of water in the haunt of jackals in their lairs. There will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. A road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Even the fool will not go astray. There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Notice the promise in the first verse. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And the promise of the last verse. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, Adrian Rogers said this one time, and it's true. Uh, Bob Pittman has a sermon he calls the truth about trouble. And every time Bob has been here in revival, uh, I have asked him to preach that sermon. Now, Bob is coming back in August, and I won't be pastor then. Uh, but if you want Bob to preach it, you're free to ask Brother Bob to say, Brother Bob, Brother Mike talked about that sermon, The Truth About Trouble. But one of the things that Bob says in that sermon is this. Sometimes people say things are in the Bible that aren't there. For example, uh, some people say the Bible says God will never put on you more than you can bear. That is not in the Bible. In fact, if you go and read what the Apostle Paul said, he said, we were so pressed in Asia, he said, we almost despaired of life. He was saying, I have more on me than I can stand when I was in Asia. 
But again, Adrian said, God will put more on us than we can bear, but not more than he can bear. If you have a burden today, I have good news. God can carry your burden. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need not carry that burden. God is willing to carry that burden for you. But the Bible speaks, first of all, about the desert. It talks about the desert as a place of barrenness. Uh, when Cain killed his brother, he was banished, and he was banished east of Eden. Now, we don't know exactly where Eden was, but we know it was somewhere in the area uh, uh, what later became Babylon and Iraq, and uh, in part of that country uh, where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers flow, it, it, it's very fertile. But most of that country, like many places in the Middle East, is desert. And so when Cain was uh, sent out, he was sent out. He had been growing crops, but God said, where you go, crops won't grow. And Cain spent the rest of his life wandering around in the desert. So the desert is a place of barrenness, but the desert's also a place of banishment. Uh, Hagar was uh, Sarah's handmaiden. And Sarah was promised a son, but when years passed and she hadn't had a son, she took matters in her own hand and said, Hagar, go in and, and lay with Abraham and, and bear a child with him. And so they did. And that child was born and he was named Ishmael. And then years later, when Abraham was a hundred years old and Sarah was 90, uh, God answered that promise. Now, some of you ladies and we have pregnant ladies in this church. I'm thankful for the pregnant ladies in this church. That means the church is growing. Amen. You know, when the nursery grows, uh, your numbers increase and we're grateful for that. Uh, but, uh, would you like to be pregnant and 90? I don't think so. Uh, in fact, Sarah laughed at it. <laughs> she didn't laugh long, but, uh, uh, because it was a reality. But after Isaac was weaned, they had a party for him. And Ishmael made fun of Isaac and Sarah saw Ishmael making fun of Isaac. And she went to Abraham and she said, you get rid of that woman and her son. And you know what he did? He sent them into the desert. He gave them some water and gave them some bread. Now here's the thing about it. Even though Abraham banished them, God took care of them. The desert's a place of banishment, but also the desert is a place of bereavement. When the children of Israel didn't have faith to go into Canaan and the 12 spies came back and all 12, 12 of them said, this is a, a great land, but only two said, let's go in and take it. And when God saw that they did not have faith, he said, you're going to spend 40 years. There were 40 days for the spies to go into Canaan. He said, you're going to spend one year for every day the spies were in Canaan. And you didn't go and occupy the land. And the Bible says they will come to an end in the wilderness. When you see wilderness in the Bible, don't think about pine trees and, and paths for Donnie to go hiking on when he gets well again. Uh, don't think about that kind of wilderness. We're talking about desert. John the Baptist preached in the Judean wilderness. Jesus uh, went into the Judean wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And it was a place of bereavement. All the people that went into the desert, all the adults, all the men that said no to the promised land died in the desert. So it was a place of bereavement. So what about deserts today? Some of you are in a desert place personally. Some of you are having some personal struggles. Some of you are having struggles with your family. Some of you are having struggles financially. Some of you are having struggles spiritually. 
Sometimes you pray and pray and pray, and the answer doesn't seem to come. And, and you say, okay, preacher, you've got my attention. You've hit the nail on the head. I'm in the desert. Well, I have good news for you. Roses will bloom in the desert. The Bible speaks about the desert. The Bible speaks about deliverance. Notice the Bible doesn't just say the desert. That's kind of a negative thing. By the way, some people like the desert. We went out to Arizona for the Southern Baptist Convention, and we're driving around, and Mary said, oh, this is a beautiful place. And I said, beautiful? I'm depressed. I want to go home. Every time you go over a bridge, there's no water. It says so-and-so river. There's not one drop of water in the so-and-so river in Arizona. And Mary said, I think this is beautiful. And I said, well, I don't see it, and I still don't see it. I don't want to live in the desert. I like to live where you have water and shade trees and things like that. But I want to tell you this. The desert does not have to last in your life. The Bible speaks about deliverance. We'll rejoice. The desert will rejoice. Now, sometimes it's deliverance from sickness. Jesus was at Capernaum. We were there not long ago. Margaret and Lloyd, we were there. We walked on, on the streets of, of Capernaum where Jesus walked. And while he was there, a Roman centurion came and said, my servant is sick. Now, look at this. Not only was he sick, but it tells us how he was sick. It said he was paralyzed, but he was also in terrible agony. You know, if you're paralyzed, that means you can't move. But not only was he paralyzed and unable to move, he was hurting. He was screaming in agony. And so this Roman centurion had come to Jesus to see if he could heal him. And so Jesus said, I'll go to your house. You know what that centurion said? He said, look, you're a man under authority. The centurion realized that Jesus had been sent by his father. And he said, you're a man under authority. He said, I'm a man under authority too. I say to a man, go, and he goes. I say to a man, you come here, he comes here. He said, if you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus spoke the word, and the Bible says the servant was healed at that moment. I want to tell you, there, there, there's deliverance from sickness. Now, sometimes God delivers us from sickness by taking us to heaven. But that's a deliverance. Sometimes God miraculously heals. I have been, I've been blessed several times. I've had three different kinds of cancer, two internal kinds and skin cancer several times. And I took 30 chemo washes and the 30th chemo wash almost killed me. But since that chemo wash almost killed me, uh, the cancer has not returned to my bladder. So if it took that to, to, to not have the cancer, I'm grateful for that. But some people get a diagnosis and they say, well, there's no hope. Well, there is hope. Because this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. One day the doctor will say to me, uh, you've got something I can't take care of this time. And you know when he does, I'm going to say, well, thank you, doctor. You know, I've been looking forward to going to heaven for a long time. And if God doesn't heal me on earth, he'll heal me in heaven. That's all right if that's what he chooses to do. We have deliverance from sickness. And then we have deliverance from sorrow. Jesus came where a little girl had died. In fact, they'd already started the funeral and, and they had bought some musicians. They paid the musician. I better hush because we, we don't pay our, these kind of guys, musicians, anything. They might want, and they're worth it. I tell you, they're great. But, but they, paid, they paid musicians to come and play when there was a death. And so they'd already started playing the death songs. And Jesus walked in and said, well, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And they made fun of Jesus. You know what Jesus did? He said, y'all get out of here. He invited them to leave. I want to tell you this. Try to look at things positively. 
You know, Jesus went in there. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And when he met with that negativity, you know what he did? He said, get out of here. I don't want to hear that. I've got plans. And he sent the negative people out and he brought Peter, James, and John in. And he said, little girl, arise. And she came back to life. Oh, I want to tell you, when you lose a loved one, it hurts. I can look around. I see folks who've lost loved ones. We walked that valley together. And it's not a, not a pleasant valley to walk. But I want to tell you this. I'm so thankful that Jesus died and rose again. And because he lives, those that we love who love Jesus, we'll see them again. Deliverance from sorrow. And then he de- gives us deliverance from sin. There's a beautiful story in Mark about how four men came bearing a man who was paralyzed on a pallet and they got to the house where Jesus was and they couldn't get in the door. They couldn't get in through the window. They went upstairs on the roof and they saw that it had a a tile roof that had uh, mud under it. And so they pulled up the tiles and then they started cutting holes in the mud and they cut a big enough hole in the roof where they could lower down a paralyzed man on a pallet. Now I've often, when I thought about that story, uh, there were scribes and Pharisees there and I can tell you what they were saying. Who's going to pay for this damage. That's what they were thinking about. You know what those four men were saying? We need to get this man to Jesus. And when that man came to Jesus, Jesus saw the faith of the four men who lowered him down. And he said to that man on the pallet, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the Pharisees said, whoa, nobody can forgive sin, but God. And Jesus said, well, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or arise, take up your bed and walk? And he shut the Pharisees up because they didn't know how to answer that. So Jesus had already said, your sins are forgiven. And so he just turns the coin and says, take up your bed and walk. And a paralyzed man gets up and takes his bed and goes through the crowd. And I'm sure he went through the crowd shouting because Jesus delivered him from sin. I remember that night in the cornfield, Walker County, 1964, when Jesus delivered me. When we sing that, I will remember Paula I can't sing, I remember the day he saved me. Because I have to sing, I remember the night he saved me. The night I heard him call out my name. It was in a cornfield in Walker County, and I've never been the same. I got saved in 1964 in Walker County. On June 15th, 2014, in Walker County, Alabama, I'm going to baptize my oldest granddaughter, because she's come to Jesus. Man, I tell you, when you, th- when, when you talk about Walker County, I mean, that's holy ground to me. Got saved in a cornfield going there to baptize Lily Grace. Because God has power through the blood of Jesus to forgive our sin. Well, the Bible speaks about the desert. and The Bible speaks about deliverance. But notice the Bible speaks about destiny. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a rose. That was the destiny And Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are usually chapters of judgment, preaching against the sins of Israel. But right here in chapter 35, God God saw fit to put a little oasis of scripture here, and he puts us some hope right in the middle. Isaiah is like the Bible. It has 66 chapters. There are 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 books, first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is preaching hard to Israel because God is fixing to send them into Babylon in captivity. And there's no remission from that. That's going to happen. But here in 35, Isaiah was given a messianic vision of what's going to happen to Israel in the future. 
And then in chapter 40, it starts, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And that's like the New Testament, last 27 chapters have songs about Jesus in there. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we're healed. But right here in the middle of judgment, there's grace. And that's destiny. The word rose, meaning the flower, is only used twice in the Bible. It's used here in Isaiah 35, and it's used in Song of Songs 2-1, because in Song of Songs 2-1, uh, at a beautiful wedding ceremony, uh, it says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And there it was a destiny. God destined that roses would be mentioned twice in his word. Now, I'm just, and I'm not a horticulturalist. In fact, I can barely pronounce the word. Uh, Mary was talking to me yesterday, we need to grow tomatoes. And I said, Mary, I said, every time I've tried to grow tomatoes, I have been frustrated. I said, the plants come up and the nematodes get them. Or I get tomatoes on them and the birds get them. And I said, I'll go to the farmer's market and buy you all the tomatoes. We need to learn to grow tomatoes. Well, I, I, we may try that. May is the operative word in that sentence. But I can tell you this about roses. Rose must be planted. You have to plant a rose. Roses don't come up by accident. Roses have to be planted. Now, weeds come up by accident, but not roses. Good seed has to be sown. Evil seed comes up on its own, and a rose is a plant that is a good plant. The rose must be planted. By the way, who plants the rose? If we're, if we're God's workmanship, who plants us? God does. God made us. He created us. When we fell from grace in, in the fall in, in Genesis chapter 3, God already knew that was going to happen. He had plans to redeem us. And by the way, beloved, you hear me say this. I said it the first Sunday I was here. I'm saying it the last Sunday I'm here. Salvation is all of God that man cannot boast about a thing. It began in the heart and mind of God. It was wrought in the body of Jesus on the cross and the Holy Spirit raising him up from the dead. And it will come to fruition when we stand before him in glory. And it's all of God and he deserves all the glory and the praise for it. The rose must be planted. Secondly, the rose must be protected. Now this is the only part. I mean, I went back and looked at my notes. This is the only part of the sermon that is exactly the same as the sermon I sent to the pulpit committee in 1979. It happened in 1973. I was called to the Munford Baptist Church Mary and I left a spacious two-room apartment in New Orleans Seminary. Now, I didn't say two-bedroom. Paul and Barbara know what I'm talking about. Two-room apartment. If we wanted to change our mind, we had to go out in the hall. There wasn't <laughs> enough room in the apartment to change your mind. Munford had a four-bedroom, two-bath house. We walked around in that house. This is a beautiful house. It's a brick house. We got three rooms that don't have anything in it, but it's a beautiful house. I mean, you know, it's really great. And they paid a company to come move us in, and they moved us in at night. And the next morning, I got up, and I went outside, and I looked, and there'd been a beautiful rose bush. This was in December. There was a beautiful rose bush. still had the thorns and all on it. It was dormant. And the mover, in getting his truck out, had run over that rose bush. And it had probably eight or nine stems coming up out of the ground, and every one of them was crushed. Now, I didn't own the house. It was the church house. 
and the deacons were the property committee. And I figured some deacon planted that rose in memory of his mama. And the movers had crushed that rose. And so I went out there and I told Mary, I said, well, the movers killed the rose bush. And I said, but I'm going to try to save it. Well, she laughed because she knew I'm a city boy. I don't know anything. But I talked to some people and they said, well, preacher, you got to clean the debris away. So I went out and got me some shears and cut all the debris away. I had one little stem that was left that looked like it might have some life in it. And it was about this long just sticking up out of the ground. But it looked on the outside dead as a doornail. And I told Mary, I said, well, I, I'm going to work on it all winter. I'd go out there when the ground wasn't frozen and dig up the ground and put some stuff around that road. When it got real cold, I'd put a little bag over it. And Mary was dying laughing. She said, the thing's going to die. It's gonna... Thank you for the encouragement, Mary. I appreciate your <laughs> encouraging words about my rose bush. But finally, spring came and the sun came out and the ground warmed up and got some rain. And all of a sudden, one day, there was a little leaf that came on that stem. And I went running in the house and I said, there's a leaf, there's a leaf. My rose bush has a leaf. And it wasn't, it was microscopic, but it had a leaf. But that was early in the spring. A few days later, I noticed something else. There were some little sprouts shooting up. More stems were coming up. And about the 1st of May, I went out there, and on a little tiny short rose bush, there were four roses starting to bloom. And I found out, I don't, I don't know anything about roses to this day much, but that was a kind of rose bush that started blooming in the spring, and it bloomed every month until the fall. And so we had roses off that little rose bush. And that rose bush was a lesson to me. The world may take us and crush us. And things that happen to us may break us apart. But there's a power in heaven that will cause us to bloom again. Jesus said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. The rose must be protected. And then last, the rose must be presented. Notice what 2 Corinthians says. It says, so death works in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in accordance with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And notice this present us with you. Paul is telling the church at Corinth, not only will you be presented to the Father, but I'll be presented with you. Do you know there's going to come a day when the name Mike Shaw won't mean anything? And it really doesn't mean a whole lot right now. I appreciate all the honor you've given us, but I want to tell you, if you leave here today and say, well, Mike Shaw had a great ministry, you've missed the whole point of my ministry. You see, I, I, I'm not a great guy. I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I serve a great Savior. And one day, one day, I'm going to walk up to a, a beautiful throne. And the most radiant thing I've ever seen, the most radiant being I've ever seen is seated on that throne. And when I walk up there, guys, I'm not going to walk up there and say, 
I had a doctor of ministry degree. And I'm not going to walk up there and say, I pastored the First Baptist Church of Pelham for 35 years. You know what I'm going to walk up there and say? Ricky White sings it sometimes. I have come by the way of the cross. And when I say I have come by the way of the cross, I'm going to hush my mouth. And the Lord Jesus is going to stand. And he's going to point to me. And he's going to say, Father... This is one of mine. And for all eternity, I'm going to celebrate what Jesus did for me and what Jesus has done for so many of you. And if you're here today and you're not saved, what Jesus wants to do for you. You say, Jesus doesn't want to save me. Oh, yes, he does. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and abide with him. And that promise is for, there's nobody that's too good to be saved and there's nobody that's too bad to be saved. You say, well, I don't have faith. Faith is a gift from God. You just exercise a little bit and God will give you more. You see, if you don't exercise faith, it won't grow, but God will give you faith to go with your faith and that faith will glorify Jesus. Now, everybody's sung today but me. I did sing with the team, but I didn't get to sing a solo. So I decided I'm going to sing a solo. Not because I'm a good singer, but I got a song I need to sing. And here's my prayer for you. Whether you've been here 35 years with us, or whether you're just visiting, here's my prayer for you. I will meet you in the morning, just inside the eastern gate. So be ready, faithful pilgrim, lest with you it be too late. I will meet you, I will meet you, just inside the eastern gate over there. I will meet you, I will meet you, I will meet you in the morning over there. And if you hasten off to glory, just linger near the eastern gate. For I'm coming in the morning, and you'll not have long to wait. So keep your lamps all trimmed and burning and for the bridegroom watch and wait. For with joy we'll see Jesus just inside the eastern gate. And I will meet you I will meet you just inside the eastern gate over there. I will meet you, I will meet you, I will meet you in the morning over there. Amen. You say...
I'll be looking for you. Don't disappoint. Remain standing just for a moment. One of my favorite authors was a lady named Catherine Marshall. Her husband was Peter Marshall. He was the chaplain of the United States Senate. One morning, he had a heart attack. And in those days, they put you in an ambulance and carried you to the hospital. And they had a young child. And she couldn't leave that child and go to the hospital with her husband. She said, I'll be at the hospital in the morning. And Peter Marshall said to his wife, last words he ever said to her, I'll see you in the morning. Catherine Marshall wrote a book called A Man Called Peter. And she talks about that. And she tells about how the last words of her husband to her were, I'll see you in the morning. And her last words in the biography of Peter Marshall were these words, I just can't wait till the morning. Oh, beloved, roses will bloom in the desert. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. If he were to come today, would you be ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy of preaching your word for 48 years, of pastoring for 43 years, of serving this church for 35 years. But Lord, the joy of my life has been to bring men and women and boys and girls to the foot of the cross and have them look up at Jesus and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Father, if there's someone here today that does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that this would be the day, this would be the hour they'd give their heart to Jesus. And now, Father, if there are those that need a church home, if there are those who need to be baptized, if there are those, Lord, who just need to come to the altar and pray, Lord, maybe some have strayed and and they're in a desert place. Lord, thank you for reminding us that the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And thank you for reminding us that the Apostle Paul went to the desert and there you taught him all the wonderful truths that he shared with us in the epistles in the New Testament. Lord, the desert can be a good place if we surrender to you while we're in that desert. And Father, for those in a desert today, I pray they wouldn't give up hope. But Lord, I pray they'd look up and find you as their hope today. And now, fathers, we give this invitation. We invite those to come who need to trust Christ, who need a church home, who need to be baptized, who need to come to the altar. And Lord, may they come because you've invited them and you've expressed your hands of grace to them. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our hymn invitation this morning. Hymn 602. Hymn number 602. Staff will be standing here. I'll be standing here. You need to make a decision. I encourage you to come right now on the very first stand. As we sing, you come right now. This has been my dream for this church. Uh, Ray Boats wrote a song one time called The Anchor Holds. And in that song, he said, I've had dreams and I've had visions and I've even held them in my hand. And Larry Smith, when I was sitting over here yesterday during that wedding and I was looking at this building, I was thinking there was a time when this building was a dream and it came true. And I've been dreaming to see a hundred men singing, praising God in this choir loft and it came true. I want you to know I'm not in a desert, but my roses have bloomed today. And I appreciate it so much. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for all you have done. We're going to be writing some personal notes. Uh, 
I have enough Snickers to keep me awake at night for a while, so I may be writing them in the midnight hour. But it's okay, I'll be retired. I can sleep late the next day. All right. Well, we want to welcome our newest member, Lewis Westerkamp. Lewis, would you come down? Amen. Dad's coming. Anybody else here with him today? Any other family members here today? Come on down, family. This is a great day. We want to celebrate. Lewis, God bless you, son. You know, I won't ever forget this day, not because it's my last day as pastor, but because Lewis came and was baptized after making his profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, after we dismiss, I don't want you to go that way until you come this way. And Brother Don, I guess I can go to my regular post, right? Well, I, well I, just want, I don't make sure I didn't mess up anything. They have told me nothing. You know, they've said, don't ask. We won't tell you. I said, okay, I won't ask then. So, Lewis, there's a copy of God's Word. Thank you for making this last day so special for me. God bless you. And, uh, again, thank you for coming. I'll see you at the back door. And you come now and greet Lewis's family. Thank them for making this a great day today. Uh, as we're dismissed in prayer... I'm going to ask Brother Paul if he would. Well, no, wait, let, me, let, me, let me do Brother Hugh. He's over here. He stayed for this service. I told him he could leave after he presented his, uh, his plaque, but he stayed for the second service. So uh, he is long-suffering. And Brother Hugh, we appreciate you being our director of mission. We appreciate being a partner in the Shelby Baptist Association. And I know that's going to continue, even though I won't be pastor. Um, my membership will still be here, and, and, I, and I'll still be cooperative, I promise you that. We want you to be cooperative, and I have some ideas in the back of my mind, so I'll be calling on you. Uh, okay. <laughs> so one thing I like about Mike is he's always got a comeback. So let's pray together. Father, we're reminded again in your word that you give gifts to churches, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For 35 years, you have blessed Pelham First Baptist Church and Shelby County Shelby Baptist Association with a pastor-teacher in Mike Shaw. Father, we thank you for the grace that you extended us and for the grace that you've given him to be a leader, a soul winner, a proclaimer of gospel truth. And we ask your blessing on him, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Father, as we go from this place, uh, we thank you that we can leave here in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that you have provided for us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.